Well, let's turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. So Peter is uh, preparing the people for God to keep his promises. Remember, you know, what God has said and respond to that. Remember what God has said he's going to do. Respond to that. They're they're, uh, living these lives of holiness and Godwardness now. Uh, waiting for and speeding that day of the Lord to come. Uh, And since we are waiting for that day, since we are speeding it, we're supposed to be living these lives without spot or blemish, uh, lives of peace, uh, and remembering that that God's patience is our salvation. Um, We saw last week that what Peter has said isn't new, that this is what Paul has said uh, in all of his letters. Paul, who again by this time was probably uh, dead, Paul wrote about this sort of stuff. Uh, But that there are things in those letters that are hard to understand. And we spent a few weeks looking at, well, what do you do with hard to understand passages? Because we've all come to that. We've all come to moments and points in our reading scripture. We don't know what something is talking about. Uh, We don't even if we do understand what it's talking about, we don't understand what to do with that. And so we looked at how do you handle hard texts? What can you learn from hard texts? Even if you don't understand what the text is saying, there are things you can always learn. There are reasons you can always praise God, even when you don't understand it. And, and ways that hard texts can sometimes be a mirror to ourselves. You know, why is this text hard? Is it really hard or am I being hard as, as Hebrews 5 talked about? You know, what's, uh, what's going on here? But uh, what we have here in Second Peter Uh, that Peter's dealing with is less about immaturity that's going on and more about immorality. Bad things are happening. People are taking advantage of these hard texts, of these less clear passages, and using that complexity to confuse the people that Peter is writing to. And that's the context of what's going on here in 2 Peter. Let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. Let's start with verse 14 of chapter 3. We'll read through verse 18 and then we'll focus. Someone put something down there for me. We'll focus on verse 16. So beginning in chapter 3, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand... Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our time to be together. I thank you for these people uh, that, Father, we know that you promise that if we do not forsake assembling together, Uh, that you will stir us up to love good works, Father, that this is how we encourage one another. And so, Father, in faithfulness to you and into one another, uh, God, we are here today. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless that and that we would do this all the more uh, as we see the day approaching. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
All right. So again, we're looking really at the last part of verse 16. That's where as we've walked through and seen uh, these hard texts. So, so Peter says there are some things in them that are that are hard to understand. But those hard to understand things, that's that's not the problem anymore. It's not a problem for us that texts are hard anymore. We're done with that, right? We've talked about it. So there will never be a problem with hard texts for us. Uh, we having hard texts is not bad, but but it's what people are doing with the texts that Peter's worried about. It's what they're doing with the text. It's very similar to what we saw in Hebrews 5 and in 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, Sometimes the problem with hard text isn't the text. Sometimes the problem is us. And that's the case with with 2 Peter here. Here you've got these genuinely hard to understand things. These things that really are hard to understand. But then you've got people doing what? taking advantage of the things that are hard to understand and twisting them and using that to confuse the people. To confuse the people and ultimately, and that's why I say confused because he's going to warn them, you don't lose your own stability here. Uh, and so they're taking these texts, they're twisting them, and then, and then bad results are coming uh, from that. This is specifically talking about what we saw in chapter 2. This is what those false teachers are doing. That he mentioned in chapter 2. That's who he's alluding to here as he's saying, look, you're waiting for these days. You know that in the meantime, uh, there are people who are going to twist these hard texts. Don't lose your stability. Remember what you're waiting on. Remember what your hope is. Don't trust in these people. Trust in the Lord. Trust in what you know to be true from God's word. Trust that. So let's look at verse 16 and let's see him lay out the problem and what they're supposed to do. As today we're going to look at twisted, how to handle and be handled by the word of God. All right, because that's what we've got a problem with. These people, instead of being handled by God's word, they're handling God's word and handling it the wrong way. So verse 16, which the ignorant and unstable. So there are things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So we've got these hard texts, these texts that people wrestle with. Again, that's not a big deal. That's to be expected. We've talked about that. Uh, There are some texts that some people would wrestle with and some people wouldn't, that some would, you know, if if I read a certain passage, I might, oh, I get it right away. Some that someone might read and go, I don't get it. Another passage that you might read and go, man, that's really clear. And that I might read and go, what do I do with that, Lord? How am I supposed to respond to that? Uh, And we all know that. We've had... uh, it's, it's every week that we get these moments of people coming up and saying, I was reading my Bible and I saw this in the text. And they're not saying of something hidden. They go, and it was there the whole time. Uh, how did I not see that? Right? It's not, the text did not change. They didn't put on their secret Baptist decoder ring uh, and use that to figure out the special passages. Uh, it, the hard texts are not a problem. They're just a reality for us and for our different growths in our spiritual life. Some of us are still babies and just drinking the milk of God's word. Some of us are growing on to meatier things. That's okay. Uh, we've seen the benefits even from hard texts. So even when you get to a hard text, there's a reason to, uh, to, to have sort of a humble praise to God, even for the text you, you can't understand. But again, that's not what Peter's dealing with. It's not just these hard texts. What, what, why are these passages a problem for the people that Peter's writing to? What's the issue? The problem isn't that they're hard to understand. The problem isn't the text. The problem is how these people are handling the text. And really not 
that they're handling it, but what they're doing with it, how they're handling it. And let's begin with the who the problem is. We're going to start out with the who. And he tells us in a series of knots. Uh, this, this is, these words all begin with the word not attached to the front of them. These are people who are lacking certain qualities. The not this and the not that are doing this. The first group that he mentions is the, and they're the ignorant and unstable. The first one is the ignorant, those without, uh, knowledge. Now this is not the normal word in your Bible for ignorant. This is not the common word for those without knowledge. This is a different word. This word is a combination of the words not and discipled. So these are, uh, so if you remember in the Great Commission where Jesus says, go and make disciples, this is the word not attached to that word. These are the not discipled, the undiscipled is one way you could say it. The, and I think that's probably a better way to translate it would be the undiscipled so that you know when you read the word ignorant, you're probably not reading this word. This word only appears uh, here. There are those who are just not discipled. These are people who've been not discipled, who haven't been taught and they just run around with what they assume to be the meaning of the text. And so one of, a great principle in, in, in reading scripture is that scripture always interprets scripture. Okay, so if you get to a passage and you don't understand what it's talking about, one thing that can help you understand a passage is to look at other similar passages. In this way, if I'm looking at a passage and I don't know what it's saying, but I've got other, another verse that says it, it can't be this, and another verse that says, and it also can't be that, that helps become like a hedge for me in what a verse can mean. Well, it can't mean this because this verse says this. And it can't mean this because it's got to match this verse over here. So scripture often interprets scripture to help us understand what the Bible is talking about. But if you're undiscipled, if you haven't been discipled in the truth, you don't know the scriptures. You don't know what the other verses might say. And so these people who are undiscipled are coming in and saying whatever they think the Bible might say, the texts that could guide them, they're not going to. This is, again, the problem of, uh, that you often see when people proof text, right? Uh, they get a, you, if you take a verse and you put it all by itself, right, you can make it say anything. Like that Proverbs, it says, you know, uh, that we will not ride horses. You know, if I were to bring that out and say, hey, look, guys, the Bible says that we as Christians shouldn't ride horses. Uh, if you just, I mean, I can say, look, it says it right there in God's word. Uh, I mean, the, 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 obviously the context is not that there, but what we do with a proof text, if you take anything out of its context, you can sort of twist it and make it say what you want. Uh, and if you're not discipled, if you're not grounded in God's word, there's a threat that you can go and make scripture say whatever you want to make it say. That's what these teachers were doing. They were undiscipled. They hadn't been taught. They didn't know apparently what the other verses say. It's similar to what we saw in Hebrews 5 verse 13 when it warned about those who are unskilled in the word of righteousness. You can be simply just unskilled. You can, there's, we all don't sort of just jump into our Bibles and get it all right off the bat. And so if you're not skilled in, the, in scripture and you go to a passage and you go, oh, that passage means this. And you're not aware of other verses in the Bible that go, no, it doesn't. It does not mean that. Do not say it means that. And you get so excited and you jump on the phone and you say, 
listen, friend, I just read this passage and you know what it teaches. Uh, And then that friend goes, wow, I'd never heard of that before. That's real. Normally, if someone says I've never heard of that before, you need to pause. Right. If you have found something in Scripture that no one in the history of Christendom has found, you probably found something you need to put back under that rock uh, that you think you found it under. Just put it back there uh, and and forget that it's there. Uh, And so they could. It's possible that someone who is undiscipled could twist a text because they are simply not aware of what the scriptures say, that they are unskilled in the word. But Peter isn't just warning about immature believers who might be unskilled in the word. He seems to be referring to like we saw in chapter two, these dangers of false teachers, which makes it interesting because he's saying these people are coming and they're wanting to be your teacher, but they're the ignorant ones. They're coming and they're wanting you to listen to them but they're the ones who are undiscipled. And I think Peter is, Peter in these two words, undiscipled uh, and unstable, he's actually mocking the false teachers in chapter two. Because these false teachers are coming and wanting to make you their disciples and they're not even discipled. They're not, so it's like coming and wanting to be you, them to be your teacher, but they've never even been students, right? That idea, like if, if someone came up and said, hey, you know, I know you're going through some tough times and I'd like to homeschool your kids. One, that would be weird just right off the bat, right? But if you said, really, what's your, you know, what qualifications do you have? And you said, I mean, I've never been to school. Uh, you know, if you're like, do you get have a teaching degree? Oh, no, I, I actually never went to school. Uh, but I'm sure I can do this. There's lots of YouTube videos. Uh, that's kind of the similarities here. These men are wanting to teach the people. They're wanting the people to listen to what they do with these hard texts, but they're not teachers. They're not even students. They've never even been discipled in what the word of God says. It's, it's like Romans one twenty two, where it says that claiming to be wise, they became fools. That's what's going on here in, in, in 2 Peter. They're wanting you to see them as wise, but they're undiscipled. There's no reason to, to follow them, uh, to follow these these teachers. This is why in the instructions on appointing pastors, it guides the elders to appoint men who are able to teach. And that's not just about skill level, right? That doesn't mean someone who can hold your attention for a while. When it says able to teach, which again uh, is a characteristic about how much they understand of God's word, it's able to teach. Not, in other words, not someone who needs to be taught. You need someone who is able to do the teaching. You want, as pastors, you want discipled men, not men who need to be disciples. You know, if, if, I, if we're going and we're making disciples and, and we're leading you and shepherding you and making you our disciples as we disciple Christ, all this, like it would be foolish for us to disciple you if we ourselves have not been discipled. These teachers are undiscipled. They're unlearned. They're ignorant. They don't even know what they don't know. That's the problem. But it's not just that they're undiscipled. It's not just that they're ignorant. It's not just that they're untrained. He says they're also what? Unstable. 
these men are unstable. What does it mean to be unstable? Stability has actually been a pretty important word in 2 Peter. For example, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, Peter has told us that our stability as Christians, we, we have stability because the Lord has given us stability. The Lord has made us stable. So 2 Peter 1, 12, uh, if you remember sort of the, what's going on in 2 Peter, this is where he's going through the qualities that they're supposed to pursue, that list of characteristics that we looked at. Well, after that list, he says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. That word established is the same word as stable. So you could say, even though you have been made stable or even though you have been stabilized in the truth. So the Lord is the one ultimately who makes us stable. The Lord is the one who gives us that firm foundation. This is the same thing Jesus taught. Where does this stability come from? This stability that we have is when our lives are rooted and grounded in the word of God. When our lives are rooted and grounded, that sounds very much like Colossians. When our lives are rooted and grounded in God's word, that's when we become stable. This is what Jesus said at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew chapter 7. How did he close the Sermon on the Mount? All these things that he's listed, some of which we would say are what? Are hard sayings, right? Some of them we would look at and go, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. Um, But what did he say at the end of it? He talked about the stability that we have. What stability do we have and where does it come from? He says in Matthew 7, 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. When you and I have our lives rooted in the hearing and the doing of the word of God, that gives us stability and Who is the one that causes our hearts to want to hear and do the word? The Lord. That's why Peter can say you've been established. You've been made stable. You don't have to be stable. The Lord stabilizes you. He's the one who makes you stable from the beginning. He establishes you in that desire for the word. But these people are unstable. And and Peter said, not only are these people unstable, guess who they're actually looking for? Who do these teachers go after? Do they go after the people who have their lives fixed and rooted in God's word? No, those people are hard to convince. If you go to someone who's like, Lord, whatever you say, I will do. And this person comes up and says, so I've got something new for you. Uh, those people are going to go, ah, you know, like get away. Like I want nothing to do with you. So second Peter tells us that these false teachers actually look for people who are not stable himself. Second Peter chapter two, verse 14. He says, they have eyes full of adultery. They're insatiable for sin. They entice whom? Unsteady. There's the word unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. They are accursed children. So false teachers go after those who are not steady. Those who are not firmly rooted in the word. And here again is more irony from, from Peter, these false teachers are trying to get you to adhere to their teachings, but they're the ones who actually are adhering to nothing themselves. 
They're not adhering even to the, the teaching. They're unstable people. So in other words, their teachings are like this. And if you, if you ever notice someone who is a false teacher, someone who twists the word of God, their doctrine is normally not set very solid. It's like jello when you haven't had it in the refrigerator long enough. It was like the waiting, remember waiting for jello to set as a child? Uh, and it, it took like four weeks to set. Uh, and you would just wait and wait. These unsteady souls, because they're not firmly rooted in God's word, their doctrine often does this. It go and what's it normal? I mean, to steal what, what Paul's going to say in, in 2 Corinthians, they're just peddling the word of God anyway. So they're normally just saying what they think the people want them to say so that the people will pay the money. Uh, but they're unsteady. But they want you. So these false teachers want you to do what they say when what they say is all over the place. They are unsteady people and they look for unstable people that will follow them. But really, you know where they could look to find the unsteady person? In the mirror. That's where these people could look because they're unsteady. So you've got these unstable, those not established in the truth, not standing, not rooted in the truth, uh, who are actually the unstable ones. They're, they're, putting on the airs as if they're bastions of the faith, as if they're stalwarts of the truth, but they're actually unstable. To be stable, you must be established in the word of God as your sole source of truth. And that's a more common temptation than you might think. Whenever we hold beliefs that are not founded, are not birthed, from the word, those are unstable beliefs. You don't think that's an issue? If, there, if we believe something and we don't know why we believe it, believe it because we've always believed it or believe it because that's how I grew up or believe it because whatever, that's an unstable truth because that truth is not rooted in God's word. In other words, if you go, I think that salvation is like this or I think that this is this or I think that baptism or I think that prayer or I think that giving or I think, you know, whatever it might be is, I think it should be like this or I think God is like, and if you can't, if someone goes, why do you think that? And your answer isn't, well, because the Bible says this, that's an unsteady belief. Even if it's true, even if it's a true belief, it could be unsteady because you don't even know that it's rooted in God's word. So there's a constant temptation that we must be aware of. If there's anything we believe that is not founded in the word of God, even if it's true, it is showing our instability. We've just gotten lucky, right? We must make sure that everything we believe is rooted in the word of God. And so that's why I always say, you know, how do you know if you're doing that? Give yourself an inventory. Write down, if you were to say, this is what I believe, write it down. And you're like, well, I, I don't know, about, I can't write down everything. Well, write down some things. Write down 10 things that you believe are true about the Christian faith, about the world, about whatever, about Jesus, about God. And as you write those things down, look at those and go, now, why do I believe that? What verses? And, and if you don't know them, call Zach. Call myself. And we will either tell you, oh, yeah, that's, not, that's not exactly right. Uh, or we'll go, oh, yeah, that's right. That's based on this verse or that verse or whatever. But make sure that everything you believe is, is established in the truth. Or you might hear someone who says something that sounds good to you, 
just like these other things sounded good to you. And if all these things are not, if you, if, if, if you're not careful to make sure the only things that sound good for you, to you are the things that sound like they're coming from the Bible or things that you know, this sounds good to me because, why does it sound good to me? Not because it's tickling my ear, but this sounds good to me because he's quoting this verse here to, to show what he's saying. Always make sure that that's how you're evaluating anything that you believe or anything that you have believed. We must be a church that's built on the stable rock of God's word because the truth is nothing bad can come out of you doing that right i mean nothing bad if you if you were like if if you sit down and go well i don't want to do that what might it show that's why you need to do that right there's nothing bad to get, if you like nothing bad can come out of you writing down the things that you believe and either finding out that they're wrong which would be good for you or finding out why they're right which would also be good for you so just always make sure that what we believe is stabilized, is firmly rooted in the word of God. So, but that's not what's going on here. You've got these undisciplined, you've got these unsteady people, and yet they're asking for the, them to follow them. But what are they doing with God's word? So that's the who. The who is uh, undiscipled, unsteady, unestablished but what are these undiscipled and unstable people doing? You can see just how undiscipled and unsteady they are because look at what they do with the word of God. Look at what he says. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. These people are twisting the word of God. Now, this word for twist is a word only used here in the New Testament. It comes from the word to turn or wrench something. I wish the ESV had translated it wrenched so bad because I think that really gets at what it's like trying to force uh, a round peg in a square hole here is really the idea. It's not it's not like it's like they're getting to God's word and just going, huh, just seeing it from a different angle. Maybe I, you ever heard, ever had anybody say that to you when you, well, the Bible says this and they go, well, I come at it a little different. And you go, well, I come at it where God comes at it. Uh, so you might, you can't just see it. Like it'd be like, it'd be one thing if you just said, these people are wrenching the word of God. If you're, if you're twisting it to get the angle right, like that's not, that's not, it's, if you look at it like, like this and you know, <laughs> doing whatever they can to get it to say what they want. That's what these people are doing. They are twisting. They are wrenching the word of God. They, in other words, it appears that they know what God is saying, but they're redirecting it. And not gently either, right? They're twisting it. They're wrenching it. They're forcing it to say what they want it to say. I mean, it's, it's one thing to be confused by hard text, but that's not what's going on here. To, 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 it, it'd be one thing if you just didn't know what the text was calling you to do. But here, these false teachers know what they want said. And they're going to make sure the Bible says it. And I got to tell you, this is a huge problem in the modern church. And a huge problem in pulpits. And in our short form, 15 minute sermons. Because what happens, and I know it's a huge problem because this is kind of how I was taught to preach in the examples that I saw and even in telling how to prepare for a sermon. This is, my first sermons were like this. I had something that I wanted to say 
something that I thought people needed to hear, even if it was true. Uh, They probably didn't need to hear it because I was very young and stupid. Uh, And now I go back and go, man, I'm so glad that that not very many people heard that. Uh, So you take something that you want to hear and then what do you do? You go, well, now I got to find a Bible verse that says that, right? And so you go to a Bible verse that kind of says it. You do the, like the worst thing you can do, which is a concordant search, right? Like, I want to talk about, you know, truth. Let me, where's the word truth brought up? Okay, it's brought up here, John 17, 17. Okay, so I'll mention that verse for five seconds, and then I'll tell them all the things I think about truth, right? That, to, to do that is to, is to know what you want to say and go to a text and say, hey, look, here's a text that's saying what I want it to say. And, but you're they're really twisting the text to say what you want. That's a big danger. That's a danger in pulpits, but it's also a danger in our own lives. If you get to the text of God's word and you see that it's saying one thing and you make sure you want it to say something else and you go away with going, yeah, I'm sure it meant this and not that. You are just as guilty of twisting the word of God. And we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. But again, their foolishness is highlighted. Why? Because look at how foolish it is. They're twisting the text. And what's going to come out of that? This Twisting God's word is like playing with dynamite. You remember those old westerns where the dynamite would begin to sweat? Remember that? And it would sweat nitroglycerin. And then it would become real. Some of the only ones like, like old bonanza. Where you'd be on the, the wagon and if it jostled too much, what would it do? Boom! It would all blow up. This is what handling God's word is like. If you take God's word and you twist it, nothing good comes from it. Nothing good. And look at what it does for these false teachers. It says they twist it, these ignorant and unstable, twist it to their own destruction. So in other words, these, this is how foolish these people are. They think, I'm going to twist this and that'll be really good for me. But they're actually twisting a time bomb here. They're pulling the pin off the grenade and it is going to bring their destruction. In the end, what they think will bring them freedom is what destroys them. And I think it's important for us to recognize this. These people are not doing these things accidentally. And we're going to talk about why that's important for a couple of reasons, but it seems very clear that these false teachers are doing these things intentionally. One is the, just the word for twist, that word for wrenching. That seems to imply an intentional forcing of movement. You've got to force this into place. You don't, you don't accidentally wrench something. I've never accidentally wrenched anything in my life, right? Oh, where'd this wrench come from and this turning of this nut? Like those things happen on purpose. So the wrenching, but also not just the fact that they wrench the word, although I think that would be enough, but look at what else he says. They twist the word to their own destruction as what? As they do the other scriptures. In other words, this is not an isolated incident. This is not just them getting, you know, one theological point wrong. This is about about a pattern of abuse of the of the word of God as a whole. This is how they treat not just these hard texts. This is how they treat all the texts in scripture. 
This is important for understanding how twisted these, these teachers are themselves. Peter is talking about men who don't just twist the difficult passages. These are men who are twisting all the passages. This isn't just what they do with the hard text. This is what they do with all the texts. This is why this type of false teacher is easy to spot. Because they don't just, they don't just twist the gray areas. They twist all of Scripture. And there's, there's an importance to recognize that. There's an importance to understanding the, the intentionality going on here. This is an intentional misreading of the word of God. Intentional. And I say that because we don't want to be unduly scared of misreading God's word and think that we're going to end up being like this. So if twisting scripture is such a threat, well, I don't want to be guilty of that. So what do we do? I should probably just never read scripture, right? If twisting scripture is that bad, I don't want to accidentally twist scripture uh, and end up be- and, and it leads to my own destruction, right? So the best thing I can do is put that Bible away. It's full with, you just said it's full of all sorts of gray areas. Well, I don't want to accidentally twist one of those. This is not what this passage is talking about. This is intentionally going to God's word and twisting it. And not just in the difficult areas, in every area. Uh, You know, there's a reason the Bible says, let not many of you become teachers. And it doesn't say, let not many of you become readers, right? Uh, It's not like Zach and I are the ones handling the hazmat suits of dealing with God's word. Because we're like the bomb bomb squad suits and we're going to... We're going to deal with it. And if it blows up on us, sorry, folks, you know, you can get a new pastor next time. Like this is something that you can all handle God's word. There's nothing that is going to force you to twist the word of God. This is not about immature believers accidentally misunderstanding a text. uh, Or even mature believers accidentally misunderstanding a text. This is about intentionally twisting the word of God and again not just in a gray area but in every area they're doing this with all the scripture and this isn't this this isn't warning you that if you end up being wrong on uh, like if, if you find out that you read you know John chapter 4 the wrong way uh, that you're going to get up to heaven and uh, you know you're going to get there and go yeah I mean I know golly I know you've got Jesus Lord but if you'll remember here when you talked about John 4 that one time you said this, and it was actually this. So, yeah, hell. Uh, like, that's not how faith works. That's not what's going on here. And then this, so this isn't about you accidentally getting something wrong. This isn't about you being afraid to read God's word or you're, are you twisting the text? This is, a, this is a really intentional twisting of God's word that these false teachers specifically are, are doing. And again, this also, I mean, I love why he says, and that's what they do with all the scriptures. This isn't, this is also in a, in a war, isn't a warning about any teacher who disagrees with us on, on a position that they, oh, well, they must be, they must be undiscipled. Oh, and they must be, be ignorant. They must be scripture twisters because the, the, this passage, they don't see it the same way I do. Uh, that's not what he's saying here either. These are people who are twisting all of scripture. And, and really we've got to recognize Peter is talking here about really a specific group of false teachers that the church that he's writing to knows about. They know exactly who he's talking about. Men that, that, know, Peter, that know who Peter, who, who's Peter's saying. And Peter's bringing an apostolic judgment on those people 
Peter knows these teachers' motives. He knows these teachers' intentions. And that's hard for us to know. That's hard for us to do. In other words, you can't blanketly apply this text to just anyone. Could this text, uh, could others fit with this warning? Yes. Should we be cautious to who we listen to? Yes. I'm telling you, if you listen to anyone but your pastor on any issue, I think you're on shaky ground. Uh, We can talk about that. I already have. Uh, to look at every teacher or believer who disagrees with you on scripture as someone who must be a twister is to go beyond what this text is saying. But, so don't go beyond what this text is saying because he's saying these men here in 2 Peter, they're doing this. I, as an apostle, am telling you to watch out for these men. I know, how do you know their thoughts, Peter? The Holy Spirit is telling me this is what's going on with these men and you can see it because they do this with all of scripture. So don't go beyond that, but also don't go short of what he's saying either. It is a dangerous thing to be someone who goes to the word of God and sees what is there and twists it to see what you want to see. That is very dangerous. So, so it might not be talking about everybody who disagrees with you. It might not be saying, hey, don't read your Bibles because that's too dangerous. But also recognize it is saying it is a very dangerous thing to be someone who sees what the Bible says and twists it so that it says what they want it to say. That is a dangerous position to be in. It is a we must always come to the word of God humbly. And if you're twisting scripture, you are not coming humbly. It is a dangerous thing to twist and wrench the word of God. That's true in the pulpit. It's more true in the pulpit, but it is also true every time you open your Bible. If you are opening the Bible and intentionally twisting what it says, that is a dangerous thing. This may not be talking about doing it on accident, but it is definitely saying if you're doing this on purpose, that is a dangerous place to be. Dangerous. So are there Christians and and even teachers who accidentally get things wrong who who are unintentionally unstable yes what's fun you know what i think is so funny about this peter was once that right peter even as an apostle was showing his instability and had to be rebuked by paul for it right he was wrongly if look if peter can get the gospel wrong while going around as an apostle the chance that you and i might fall into this and need to be rebuked by it could be an issue The Bible is full of great men, great teachers that were unstable and ignorant of some pretty important and obvious truths. I mean, Gideon is named after one of those. A great guy who at the end of his life, you go, what? He does all these great things and he's like, you know what? Let's make an ephod. Uh, And you're going, what? Or Solomon at the end of his life. And you're going, you should have just stopped with Proverbs, Solomon. Uh, I don't know what happened, uh, but just hurry up and die. Uh, So, I mean, but that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem to be the case here that Peter's dealing with in 2 Peter. These false teachers are intentionally twisting the word of God for their own gain, but to their own destruction. Okay, so that's what's going on here. But what I want us to do is, okay, if we see this, how, how can this help us? Well, I think this passage can help us in how to handle difficult passages. 
how to make sure when we get to difficult passages, or really all of Scripture, how should we handle or even be handled by the Word of God? The first thing, their first problem was what? They were undiscipled. So what can you do? Be discipled. How can you make sure you're not like the false teachers? Well, where did they fail? First, they were undiscipled. You be discipled. And Jesus tells us what it looks like to be discipled. Not very complex. Doesn't take a course, a class, even a special Sunday night session. Uh, Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. Jesus describes us the process of being a disciple. Of being discipled, of being made disciples. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How do you do that? Right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Christ's kingdom has come. His authority is here. All authority in heaven and earth is his. He has overcome the prince of the power of this world. He is crushing him. So go into this world and make disciples of them through his authority and power. But then the text tells us how to make disciples and how do people get discipled? What do they do to make them disciples? First, be baptized. So if this text is saying they're undiscipled, the first step in being discipled, be baptized. If, if you're someone who says, I'm a believer in Christ, but you've never been baptized, why? Like, uh, why, why not? Like, if we're going to have a, a young lady who's going to get baptized later today, and if she's brave enough to stand in front of people and proclaim the glory of the Lord, uh, then the fact that you would be like, well, you know, I just don't, I don't know. It's maybe nervous or something. Like, be obedient. Be baptized. First step in being a disciple, be baptized. The second thing is what? Look at the, what do you do after being baptized? Teach them to do all that I have commanded. You want to be, it's funny. It's just a two-step process, making disciples. Baptize them, and then what? Teach them to do everything I said. Like this, it's not a complex thing. It's not a, it's, if you want to be discipled, how can you make sure that you're not undiscipled so that you don't fall in the same pits that these false teachers fell into? Know and do all that the word of God says. And so it is. Be baptized, done it. Well, what's the next step? Okay, know and do everything the Bible says. You're probably not going to go, okay, yeah, I'm still doing that. And that's the point. This part of being discipled is the ongoing part of the Christian life. Hearing and then doing what you've heard. Reading, learning, knowing God's word, and then do that. The more you do of that, the more discipled you are. Discipleship doesn't go beyond that step. It doesn't go beyond the step of knowing and doing God's word. It just goes deeper into that one step. Discipleship comes to us in our union to Christ and then our obedience to what our master says. You want to be discipled? Get baptized and get in the word. The baptism thing happens once and then it's over. But the getting in the word and the doing all that he says, that's the discipled life. But you cannot be discipled if you do not know what the word of God says. This is why we preach. This is why we're here every Sunday doing this, making sure that you're getting more of God's word, knowing what it says so that you might do it. So people go, you know, have you ever thought about doing discipleship classes? And I go, that's what Sunday morning is. That's what expository preaching is. It is a discipleship class. We do discipleship classes every Sunday morning at 1040 uh, because discipleship is what? Here's what the word of God says and do it. Now, 
you might get more texts to know and do, but the what you're calling people to do isn't going to change. It's not like this is like where you get Christianity one. Uh, and then we've got special sessions where you get, you know, it's not like on Wednesday night, Zach's really giving us the good stuff. Uh, the stuff that you people get. But let me tell you, he really has given us good stuff. Uh, it's funny, the Wednesday night people went, he really is, he really is. Uh, so, so like this is discipleship. You are being discipled Today, right now, you are hearing and either obeying or not obeying the word of God. So this is why we preach. And this is, this is why reading is so important, right? Because the, the rate that Zach and I preach, you're pro- we're probably not going to get to every verse in the Bible by the time you die. Uh, and so what's going to be important to supplement the depth with which we give you is to be at home reading the word of God yourself so that you can know more of it. And then if, and then what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit is going to teach you what it says. And in any passage you're confused about, the Holy Spirit has given you a shepherd to tell you how to apply it if you don't know how. Two of them. So we can talk and go, you think it says this? Yeah, it says that. Okay, well, let's tell them that's what they should do. So, but you don't get that if you're not, if you're not reading, this is why preaching and reading, being in the word, being discipled by the word helps you to not be these people we just read about. So read God's word, hear God's word. Don't forsake these times where we get together to be with other believers and to talk about God's word. And again, I know I made a joke about Wednesday, but I'm not just talking about Sunday morning either. That's the, that's the bare minimum to seeking to be discipled. Be with your church as much as you want to grow. Don't want to grow? Don't be with the church much. Ask your pastors questions. Imitate the lives of your pastors. Grow your maturity through obedience to what you read. I don't know a single Christian believer who has gotten more mature without doing those things. I don't know a single Christian believer who has grown more mature and started reading less. I don't know any Christian believer that has grown more mature and started hearing less of God's word. I don't know any Christian believer that has grown more mature and started going to church less. I don't know any Christian believer who has started, who's grown in their maturity and started doing less of these things that the Bible says grows our maturity. These will help you in understanding the meteor parts of God's word rather being tempted to either purposefully or accidentally twist the hard parts. So be discipled. You don't, want, you don't want to pull the pin on the grenade? Be discipled. Next, be stable. Be stable. Remember, these false teachers prey upon our instability. You need to be grounded in the word of God. How do you be grounded in God's word? Be grounded in the gospel. Get to the foundational truths of the gospel and chew on them over and over and over. One of the problems that we have as people is instability is exciting. We like the passages in scripture that we don't understand more than we like the passages that we do understand. Meaning this, you will go and buy a book on something you don't get, but you will not buy a book that just talks about how great Jesus is, right? Because what do you say? Well, I got that down. I know how great that is. You, my own personal conviction has happened. I was talking to the Bible study group about this. My own personal conviction about this happened when I realized that I didn't like the gospels. Not meaning that I didn't like the gospel, but when I was going and reading through the Bible, I was like, oh, the life of Jesus stuff. Uh, when are we going to get to Paul? And, you know, I can start really chewing on that sort of thing. And I realized, whoa, like the reason that I like this other stuff 
is so that I could, you know, maybe answer questions. Because no one ever asks you, you know, uh, what do you think about Jesus when he was doing this? Or, you know, tell me about Jesus' birth. Just tell me about the birth of Jesus. No one ever does that. But questions, questions that I can then answer. Uh, and so that's what I got excited about. And that's what I would read about. And that's what my bookshelves were filled with was all this stuff instead of being excited about. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Gospels and the Gospels and the Gospels and the Gospels about Christ and about Christ and about Christ. I mean, that centrality had shifted toward a desire more for the unstable things, the gray areas, the harder to understand things. And I was convicted of that. Like, you've got to love the gospel. So, so make sure we're not unstable people. Make sure that we're people who are centered in the word of God, who don't like instability, and who realize that we have been stabilized by Christ. Get into those basic truths. Chew on them. Uh, and that will help you to be stable. And the last thing is be twisted. I said be twisted. The problem with these false teachers is that they were twisting the text. But when you get to the text, you're not supposed to twist the text. You're supposed to let the text twist you. Okay, so when you read the Bible, there should be a twisting going on. You're just not supposed to be the one twisting. The twisting that's supposed to be taking place is the Bible should be twisting you, should be molding you, not you molding it. We we saw this in in Hebrews 5 when we saw that they were being dull of hearing, right? They knew what the word of God said, but they were pretending like they didn't hear it. Don't do that. Let the word of God twist you. If you hear it from scripture, you need to hear it and rejoice. Do you know who's making you hear it? The God of the universe in his kindness is letting you see your failures. We sit around and mope all day long about how I wish I was better and I'm such a failure and I want to do this. And then God in his grace shows us in his word what we need to change. And we go, no, let's hurry up and get to the next verse. Let the word of God twist you. This is James 1. What did it say? Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers. The Bible warns, you, warns us, if you don't twist, what will happen is you will break. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1. He who is often reproved, and this includes being reproved by scripture. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. It's one of my favorite passages to use with my children. Uh, and it is also a favorite passage for me to remember when I'm reading scripture. If I'm seeing something and I see it again and I see it again about my life and what I need to change and I don't do it, I cannot be surprised when the consequence is my brokenness. So come to scripture not to twist it, but to be twisted. Now, I I really hope that this helps us not only beware of false teachers uh, and those who twist scripture, but to make sure that we're preparing ourselves to be discipled, to be stable people who come to God's word, to be shaped by the word, to be wrenched more and more into the image of Christ instead of wrenching the word into our own image. Let's pray. So we take a moment to pray. We want to be a people that devote themselves to prayer. And so let's take a time as a church to do that right now. To come to the Lord. To hear we've heard his word. And now we should come back to him and say, Father, one, thank you for the word. We should always be so thankful to God. 
that he has protected us from false teachers, giving us a warning here of those who might be like those that Peter warned about. And then pray. Pray that you would not be like them. Pray that you would, one, not listen to false teachers. Pray that the Lord would protect you from false teachers. I mean, we are in a very difficult position when there's stuff all over the radio, all over the Internet. Teachers are everywhere. Thank the Lord for the pastors that you have. That we are not those who twist the word of God. Pray that we would never be those who twist the word of God. And then pray for yourself. Pray that if these men were undiscipled, pray that you would not be undiscipled. Pray that you'd be discipled more and more into the word of God and doing it. Discipled, discipled. That's what's going to protect you from being someone who twists the scripture. So pray that God would disciple you. That you'd be growing more and more in your Christian faith. Reading and doing, reading and doing. That's what Hebrews said. That's what Corinthians said. All this maturity comes to what? Reading and doing. The, the Christian life, Christian growth never goes beyond that point. Read it and do it. Read it and do it. And then pray that you would be stable. God has established us in Christ. We are rooted, firmly grounded because of him. Why would we want instability? May we run to the word of God as our stability. May we thank him that he has rooted us firmly. May we we center our lives on the rock that is Christ. And right now, if you look at your life and see, you know, my life hasn't been, if you look at my life, it hasn't been centered on scripture and Christ and obedience to him. Well, then no wonder your life kind of feels like it's sinking sand right now. Because that's what Jesus said it would be. The way your life is a rock is when you hear his words and do them. So may we run to that stability that is ours. That's what makes it so silly, like we talked about the other day. It's so silly that God has given us this stability and we're running back to the sand. And then pray that you would be someone who is always twisted by the word of God, that you would be malleable, bendable, that you would come to God's word, not stiff-necked, but ready to be twisted by whatever he says. And that can be a great thing to pray before you ever even open your Bible. God, if you need to twist me, then wrench me. Wrench me to where I need to be. And you know what? If you're fixing your eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith, that's exactly what he will do. He will shape you more and more into the image of your Christ. And as your eyes are fixed on Christ, you know what you'll want to do? you'll want to read more and more of what your Christ says. As you think more and more about how you've been baptized into Christ, that union with Christ, this blessed life that you have, you know what you want. You'll, be want, you'll want to be discipled more and more. So our great prayer is to fix our eyes, not on ourselves, and not on anyone else, but on Christ. Father, we come to you today So thankful for your word, thankful for the warnings that you put here, warnings to to cause us to look around us, but also warnings to cause us to look inside us. And Father, I, I am so thankful how your word shapes and molds us, and I'm thankful for the simplicity of life in your word. 
And God, I pray that as we see a picture of this discipled life today in, in Aubrey's baptism, that Father, when we look at that, we would be reminded of our own union with you, our union with Christ, that we have been buried and raised to a new life. And what is that life to be? Knowing and doing all that you've said for us to do. It is beautiful in its simplicity, Father. And yet we can only do it by your grace, by your spirit that you put within us. We thank you, Father, for all that you've done. May we honor you. May we glorify you in how we handle or how we are handled by your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.